Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders, elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning. Good morning. This is Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR with myself, Anya, and George sitting Hello. across from me. How are you, George? I'm good. I'm a bit sleepy. I didn't sleep very well last mm, night. Me too. It's the nights that you really want to sleep in that you can't. Mm. You? Today is the 16th of April. Yes. And, and it's a special morning because it's... Uh, it's one of the first times that Anya is behind the panel. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> so if something happens, um, you know, quite radically halfway through the show, if you hear some sort of an explosion or <laughs> if we go temporarily offline. Don't stress. It's all on me. It's a good 20 degrees outside, which is nice. It's nice and warm. Yeah. And we've also got a special guest yeah. in the studio. <laughs> what a dream. <laughs> We've got Chris Woods in the yeah. studio. Chris Woods is Crikey's morning reporter and a freelance political immigration and science yes, journalist. Yes, Yeah, Amazing. all three. Yeah. And Chris has been doing headlines for the past two weeks, three weeks maybe, um, over the phone. Yeah. But, but now we're dragging them into the studio yeah. to do that. <laughs> it I'm was just really unbearable to hear your voice over the phone. Okay, so a little rude. <laughs> I thought we were all friends here. Um, <laughs> no, thank you guys so much for having me. This is so exciting. Our pleasure. I um, Yeah. No, you guys, it's, just, it's so much work. Oh, my God, watching you all run around. Thanks, Chris. Uh, yeah. You're reading perfectly from the script. <laughs> thank you. Yes. Anya is great. Uh, thanks. Uh, big, yeah. <laughs> big love to Anya. Oh, great. We think to write. <laughs> all right. So we might just jump straight into headlines then. Um Take it away. Take it away. Yeah, well, um, as we actually all three know, yesterday was the 28th uh, anniversary of the handing down of the recommendations of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody. Mm-hmm. We, um, yeah, we've still, uh, I, I know a number of, at least here in Victoria, a number of, I think, 80 Victorian and non-government organisations wrote to Dan Andrews asking that implement the final record like about a third of these aren't recommended Mm. aren't implemented Mm. uh, especially here in Victoria public drunkenness Mm. Um, uh, also Queensland I think Western Australia still has some uh, way to go in terms of unpaid fines jailing people for unpaid fines Mm. Uh, yeah so there's a lot of work there Mm. uh, and sadly it coincides with another death in custody last Tuesday, which, um, mm. yeah, I believe we might be talking about a little bit later, but mm-hmm. it's, uh, yeah, deeply sad, a lot of work to do that for some reason hasn't been done in 28 years. Mm. Um, 
in, I guess, slightly lighter news, uh, I think Treasurer Josh, Josh Frydenberg today, it, it's the election day, so I've been, all night I've been cramming uh, election stuff, and it's all the same every mm. single day. <laughs> it's always, uh, liberals are going on the offensive over tax, which, as someone with no money, I don't care about, um, <laughs> but... Uh, and the lab- Labour will be announcing another health policy, which is every pretty much every day they've been... This is the same thing. Liberals mm. release analysis, which sounds fairly dodgy, which mm. they did last week. They did about Labour. Mm. Turned out that the, the costings weren't really done by the Treasury, which they claimed had been. Uh, oh, they'd been done, but they weren't really about Labour policies. Um, and then today, Treasurer Josh Reinberg will basically be doing a big speech saying that you can't... Uh, you can't trust Labour, Labour will, you know, it, it's very generic, but it's basically saying coalition stuff is better for certain people in the long term, while Labour is probably better for people with less money um, in mm. the short and long term. Uh, and Bill Shorten will be announcing free blood tests, I believe, for cancer patients and uh, people over, certain old people, I forget the number, I'm sorry. Mm. Um, but yes, he's he's really going hard on a lot of stuff. He, he cited there's actually quite a lot of uh, stuff there that looks very interesting and very good mm. in my biased opinion. Mm. Um, what else? Uh, well, as we briefly spoke about earlier, Notre Dame is burning, which is... I uh, saw that this morning, yeah. Yeah. That's the uh, cathedral. I mean, I, look, I know nothing about the building except that there was a m- movie. That's all I know as well. The Disney film. Yes. The <laughs> Disney film <laughs> with Hellfire. Um, yeah. But why, yeah. why is it burning? Accidentally. We actually don't know yet, right? Yeah. They're still Massive searching. Massive fire. You know, people yeah. think it might be deliberate. Some people think it's an accident. Yeah. Not sure. Okay. But the massifier ripped through the entire building, yeah. um, and they're still sort of gauging how bad it is. Um, but it looks like um, the whole of Paris is grieving. It's a huge landmark. And well, thank God no one was hurt, because mm. we can joke about it, because it's... Um uh, well, at least I can check about it. <laughs> is that it's it's good. It's no one no one has been hurt, and all that we've lost is priceless art. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. I mean, that. yeah. I'm sure it's it's devastating. I'm sure it actually is, it, it actually does sound so, yeah. really devastating. They're they're losing priceless art. Mm. It's just after um, yeah, all this other horrible news. It's it's at least something that's it's quite awful, but no deaths. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So if it was deliberate it may have taken that into account i don't know mm. it's very early hours mm. mm-hmm. um. all right so i think what we might do later on in the show is have a bit more of a detailed discussion about um the election um including things like how to enroll and you know things like that and chris would be joining us for that as well yep. but before we go into that heavy sort of stuff we might play a track Georgie, do you have a track? I do have a track. I'm going to play the one I was talking about yesterday, actually. Okay. This track is by a, a local artist whose name is Queen Daddy, and it's one of their new songs. It's called Ima. My open doors for you. Baby, open all my doors, Ima. Treat you like a queen. The most prettiest queen I ever did see. Do this we could do this all night. We could do this all night. We could do this all night. We could do this all. We could do this. We could do this. Ah. 
Melbourne's newest film festival is about to hit the screens. Now put this in your diary, the 26th to the 29th of April. The inaugural Birrarunga Film Festival will showcase Indigenous films from across the globe. An incredible selection of feature films, shorts packages, conversations and even virtual reality. Now head to www.birrarunga.world That's B-I-R-R-A-R-A-N-G-A dot world and book your tickets. See you at ACME for the most exciting and global Indigenous Film Festival right here in Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. Did you know that women's votes can change this country? This federal election, let's think about what's important to us, our families and our multicultural communities when deciding how to vote. Are you enrolled? Do you know how to vote? Visit www.harmonyvotes.org.au to find out more about why your vote is important and how to make it count. Authorised by the Harmony Alliance, Migrant and Refugee Women for Change and the National Ethnic and Multicultural Broadcasters Council. 3CR supporters. In December 2017, Tanya Day, proud Yorta Yorta woman and much-loved member of the Aboriginal community, was travelling by train to Melbourne. When V-Line staff found her asleep, they called Castlemaine Police and she was removed from the train and charged with public drunkenness. Tanya died 17 days later as a result of head injuries sustained while in custody. This would never have happened had the recommendations of the 2001 Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody been implemented. Tanya Day's family is calling for the crime of public drunkenness to be abolished and for the implementation of genuine community health alternatives to incarceration. Please add your support by signing the petition at 3CR Reception, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, or online by entering Tanya Day Petition into your browser. We Need to Pay the Rent is a fundraiser for Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance featuring the Pretty Littles, Worst Nurse, Ute Root, No Sister, Face Face and a heap more. Come join us on Kulin Nation land to give back. It's well overdue. We need to pay the rent. Saturday, May the 18th at the Tote from 4pm. Tickets $20. Available from the Tote website, thetotehotel.com. Free or discounted tickets for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Contact organisers online to arrange. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR with myself, Anya, George and Chris Woods. Yes, hello. Thank you for having me again. You're still here. Yeah, you couldn't get me out. Mm. Your big broom you brought out. <laughs> All right, as promised, we'll be talking about the election. Mm, yeah. Tell right. me. Tell me everything about the election. <laughs> Where do we start? Well, it is on uh, May 18th. Saturday, May 18th, and we have, everybody has another two days to enrol mm. or update their address at uh, AEC, Australian Electoral Commission. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there are many parties this year, <laughs> <laughs> uh, tens of them even. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's already been very ugly. <laughs> it's 
and an ugly. It's day six, and the, the coalition government has managed to offend a great number of people already within, mm. you know, whether those with disabilities, uh, Korean Australians, all sorts. It's been it's been quite a lot in a few days. Um, is there anything in particular? That, uh, Could we? Do you know why they've called it at this particular moment? Oh yes. Well, it was really interesting. Everybody thought that they were going to do it like the Sunday before last because there's a narrow time frame. It kind of had to be a Saturday in May, and no one really expected it to be May 11th. And it kind of there was some reason that it probably May 25th was seen as too late. So everybody kind of thought it was going to be May 18th anyway. But the fact that Scott Morrison didn't do it the Sunday before last, because once you call the election, it goes into caretaker mode, everything shuts down. Mm. But uh, because he gave, like, he didn't do it on the Sunday, and everyone on Twitter was like, why isn't, you know, it was supposed to be this weekend. He's only got a few weeks to do it. Uh, And then he waited until Thursday. And in that space, um, the environment minister... I should do that in little scare quotes because she's been very, very bad um, for the environment. She announced approval for the Adani Carmichael coal mine in Queensland and approval. There are several, but she kind of gave the final, I think the final federal. I think there are still some more state issues, possibly one or two more federal things that they have to do down the track. But maybe I think the final ones that they need to do preliminary. Mm. Uh, she gave that on Tuesday uh, after a very rushed process, by the sounds of it, and a great deal of bullying behind the scenes from uh, Liberal and Nationals members. And this isn't me hearsay. This is someone on last Monday said, I'm going to call for your resignation if you don't endorse this. A day later, she does. Uh, she does cite some revised uh, reports, I think, from the CSIRO and another organisation, but they've also stepped back there initial approval. It's a very, it's going to take a long time to go into it, but there's been a lot of revisions of these uh, reports. They they stand by a lot of their major concerns, which were not addressed properly. Mm. Anyway, uh, the um, she gives the approval a few days later, uh, like this is last week with Senate estimates, um, those reports were due to be announced, not, not announced, they were due to be re- scrutinised on the Friday. CSIRO and the civil organisation were going to come to Senate last Friday. There would have been a great deal of saying, hey, did you really approve this? And people saying, no, not really. That's speculation, but it's uh, also true. They have walked back their support. But this is all has a point. Uh, on the Thursday, Scott Morrison announces the election. So he gives just enough time, bef- uh, you know, after he's really expected to announce it, to give this very political approval, mm-hmm. uh, and then walks it back right the day before it was really going to be scrutinised in Senate. So there's very there's a lot of questions about the timing mm-hmm. over this, okay. uh, both the approval of the Adani Carmichael Commune, which, to her great credit, uh, the Queensland's Environment Minister, Leanne Enoch, uh, has called it out. She has been very... Um, she has actually come out to say... This sounds dodgy as hell. And they've, Queensland, both all Labour coalition governments have been very quick to make any excuse they want for the Adani uh, coal mine. But uh, the fact that she has come and says, no, there is actually something very strange going on here, uh, has given a bit of hope to people who don't want to see us contribute even more to global warming, which mm. is really Australia's greatest contribution is the export of coal. So... Um, it is, yeah, it's a very dirty project. It has a lot of a lot of problems attached to it, especially with the local Indigenous group as well, uh, mm-hmm. which, yeah, uh, possibly a topic for another time. But uh, is, yeah, there's a lot. Of, I, could, I could talk for a good hour about the mm-hmm. Adani Carmichael coal mine. I did, I did have a question about the Adani coal yeah. mine. 
Um, but, you know, maybe don't talk for an hour. But oh, no, <laughs> I will. Good idea. <laughs> Great, <laughs> that's down. the show for today. Um, but do you want to maybe talk about that a little bit, what the, what the current state of affairs around the... Yeah, definitely. Yeah. There is a... Um, Okay, there are a few different legal issues that are going, you know, one of these, the one that they approved last week was for groundwater. There was a groundwater extraction approval, which, uh, again, CSRO has come back to say we, we aren't 100% sure of this. Um, this uh, They need to kind of demonstrate why it wouldn't rip up the local springs, which it absolutely will, but they kind mm-hmm. of have to say, no, we've, we will set aside a part of the springs, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also a lot of... Um, there's also a legal, ch- not maybe not a legal challenge, but uh, there are some rejected approvals for the endangered black-throated finch in Queensland, oh, which okay. this area, this would um, it would kind of rip up a lot of that territory, and yeah. they kind of have to show why it wouldn't hurt it, even uh-huh. though obviously. But yeah, there's that. There's also a continual, and this is it, it's very, it's it's there's so much attached, but there is another. Um, I want to say. I have to double check the name, but the local indigenous mm-hmm. uh, group have uh, perpetually, well, at least the family council. There are a few different groups. Um, they have they keep challenging the indigenous land use agreement in court, um, right. and they keep kind of getting knocked back because it's you know land use is land use agreements in in Australia are, are, are a joke. There's no yeah. they had tried to reject it. It mm-hmm. got dismissed mm-hmm. the first time. Uh, tried to reject it a second time, it got dismissed again. And then the third one, they gave, there's a lot of questions about it, but technically mm. some small part of the group that no one turned up because everybody knew it was kind of a joke and slash there's some evidence that people were brought in to vote. Uh, but te- technically one or another, there was a there was a date where people did vote for the thing um, and then mm. ever since that time they've been knocked back. But one or another, uh, all, all this to say that there is an ongoing high court challenge i want to say it's the high court it might not be i'd have to double check okay but they keep um yeah there's there's a very passionate group of people uh challenging the ilu so that's that's the third and i think i believe that there's probably there's all sorts of other questions about whether adani actually has the money they're talking about self-financing but yeah there's a lot of questions there and plus the greens in queensland i believe are trying to introduce a bill to ban it which I don't think has any chance, but it, uh, that's another avenue that it could be blocked. Mm. Um, it has, in to the credit of everyone trying to stop this, it has been in the works for like eight years, mm. I feel like. So they've, um, Adani have kind of thrown everything they've got at this, including some truly incredible propaganda in Queensland. And this is a bit more fun <laughs> to talk about, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, there was a front page Korean Mail headline a few weeks or months ago, and it was beyond satire. It was... Uh, but it was written dead serious. I think uh-huh. His name's Des Huden. I'd have to double check. But it was saying, Adani Carmichael coal mine, the only way to save this bird, the black-throated finch. Uh. It's, and it <laughs> was, no, and it, it was so funny. And it was, it used like an anonymous source who didn't want to be quoted because the, you know, the ecological community would, would cancel him. But uh, it was clearly an Adani. Like they were talking about it. It was an Adani ecologist uh, who was saying, oh, because we have to put, a certain point, um, a certain part of the environment aside to protect nature, the only way to save it is for the coal mine to go ahead, which has, there's no to way save the, okay. to save it. Like, we're going to, we'll, we'll cotton off this tiny little pocket to keep the bird alive uh, and destroy everything else. So, ipso facto, 
it's the mine is the only way to save that it's bird. Beyond, beyond a parody at this point. It's beyond a parody. It's so funny. And it was written dead seriously. They've really, the, every day the Courier Mail is putting out something like this. Um, and it's, but it, it's one of those things that is like, that's a, that's a lie. There's, mm. no, there's no way any ecologist worth their salt would say this is the only way to save the bird is yeah. dig up its habitat. Oh, it's, yeah. Um, so yeah. But they're obviously targeting voters who, uh, you know, might not be inclined to do research on their own or... Yes, you know, it's, or it's really turned into a propaganda right mm. the last couple of years. And this isn't to say that there aren't genuine concerns up yeah. in North Queensland about jobs and all, all the stuff that that's uh-huh. absolutely valid, uh, but it's it's gotten... Um, yeah, the Courier Mail has not addressed that in good faith, in my opinion. Perfect. And could you just go through, uh, I guess very briefly, the timeline after the election? So after May 18, what, what are the next steps? What are we looking forward to? Uh, oh, that is a good question. I actually don't know when they would have to form government. I assume it's it's always like within a month or so. Okay. Um, but I, I know... Um, you know, the New South Wales state election just happened a couple of weeks ago and we're still, they only announced the final results yesterday, so in those right. like three weeks. Okay. So I think sometimes the Senate, there are always questions about this. This It's harder f- to pick Senate seats than it is uh, local members. Right. Because um, the tallying takes a while. So it's uh, going to be a bit of a back and forth for a while. Yes. After that. Yeah. I would say so, although it might also be um, clearer with federal stuff. There's some weird discrepancy between New South Wales Senate and the Australian Senate, they call it the Members Legislative Council, and there's some re- there's some very weird difference there. But mm. I be- I believe it could take yeah a little longer for the federal one anyway. Yeah. Uh, either way, it would take a little while for a new government to form. Yeah. Uh, by the sound of the polls, it does sound like Labor is going to get in, uh, but there's always you know there's always questions. Polls. I mean, polls. Who can trust them? Yeah. I mean, look at Trump. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Major throwback. Yeah. Oh. All right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so please get out and vote. Whoever you do vote for, obviously. Please. But please. Please change your details, update your details. Yes. You have two days. Two days? Is two days, right? yeah. Thursday. Two days. Go out and, and exercise your democratic yeah, right. Democratic right. And it's great because Australia has terrific pre polling stuff. So, yeah. like, if you can't do it on the day, you've got an entire week before it, it opens to, oh, um, great. to go yeah. in and just, like, it's so nice. You go in, there are no lines. You just go and fill the form out. Yeah. Done. So easy. So easy. <laughs> easy. And just get trashed on the Saturday. <laughs> no, don't. I don't know if we can... And get a sausage or something. Get a sausage. Yeah, do. get your democracy, democracy sausage. sausage. Yeah. <laughs> really the only thing... Uh, yeah, really excite yeah. a lot of Australians. And vegan sausages. As they should. You, if you're uh, so yeah. inclined. Get vegan. Beautiful. Look, thank you so much for joining us today, Chris. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I'm sorry I barbed on a little bit. Anyway. No, that's okay. It's you're also lot. on three hours of sleep, so... Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I am on three hours of sleep. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so um, much. It is my great delight. We'll talk to you again next week. Yeah, definitely. Thank you both. Thanks, guys. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast. We have Roxanne Moore on the line. 
Roxanne Moore is a Noongar woman and human rights lawyer from Margaret River in Western Australia, and she is currently working as the principal advisor to, change, to the Change the Record Coalition. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Roxanne. No worries. Thanks for having me. So you're here with us to chat a little bit about the event yesterday and uh, the um, 28 years since the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. Perhaps we could start by talking about uh, what Change the Record has been doing around this and the kind of the pushes for change in this area. Yeah, so um, yesterday was the 28-year anniversary of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. Um, but horrifically, in that time, we've seen over 411 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people die in custody. And still, um, most of the recommendations have not been implemented. And... It's just, I think, a really tough reflection about the worth of Aboriginal lives in our society. Like, I was just reading last night that there's been another Aboriginal death in custody of an Aboriginal woman in Western Australia just last week. Um, so, Change the Record has, um, for, for this anniversary, we joined with um, Tanya Day's family, Human Rights Law Centre and 80 plus other organisations in an open letter calling on Premier Daniel Andrews um, to um, abolish the offence of public drunkenness. Um, this was a recommendation of the Royal Commission those 28 years ago and if it had been implemented, it could have saved Tanya Day's life. Mm, and it's just ridiculous that it's still in place. And is it also in Queensland that that's the case? Yeah, so it's only Queensland and Victoria that still have the offence in place. Um, every other state and territory has abolished it. And what we need to see instead is um, the government working with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander organisations and communities to put in place like public health alternatives. Um, and making sure that there are Aboriginal-led responses to this. I mean, if the issue is alcohol, right? Like, I mean, the other concern is that these kinds of offences are just being used to target Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, um, and that is certainly um, the position of, the fa of Tanya Day's family as to what happened to their mum. And has there been any kind of response so far to um, these pushes around changing the law, uh, re removing the criminal offence of public drunkenness? Has there been any responses from governments or other other parties at all? So Tanya Day's coronial inquiry is happening at the moment, and at the very first um, hearing, the um, the coroner said that. Um, that they intend to um, make a recommendation around abolishing the offence of public drunkenness. We haven't seen a position from the government yet. Um, however, you know, with this groundswell of support, with, you know, over 80 organisations coming together, with this huge community support that we saw last night with the vigil, um, I'm, I'm hoping that Premier Andrews like, can't ignore um, that this is something that needs to be acted on immediately so that no more lives are lost. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe we could talk a little bit about the vigil yesterday. Yeah, so um, 
Tanya Day's family was really um, central in organising that as well as the local community and it was about um, lighting a candle for every Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander person who has passed or has been killed or died in custody um, since the Royal Commission report 28 years ago. Um, it was really, really moving and powerful event. Um, it had lots of um, speeches from um, family members, including Tanya Day's family, um, and statements read out from um, families in different states and territories too who um, couldn't be there. Um, really powerful words um, coming from the families who have who are still grieving and still fighting for justice. Yeah, I think there was one speaker in particular that made a comment that stuck with me, uh, a family member that talked about the differences between public kind of responses when there's uh, the death of, say, like a white woman as a result of um, violence against women uh, in comparison to Aboriginal deaths in custody. And that seemed like a really powerful message to take away to really understand that there is a really big difference in the way that, um, the way that Australians actually think about the deaths of different people. Yeah, and that message was very clearly like, where is the compassion for Aboriginal lives? Like, do Aboriginal lives matter in this country? And, and it is, it is really powerful that we do see that groundswell of support, uh, groundswell of support when, um, those horrific, um, murders of, um, you know, non-Indigenous women happen and that those huge public gatherings, but like, we just really don't see that same support extended um, to the lives of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Um, you know, our women are 35 times more likely to be hospitalised and, and more likely to be killed um, in family violence situations. And, um, and you know, similarly with Aboriginal deaths in custody and even with, um, you know, Aboriginal youth suicide this year, we've seen, you know, at least 44 um, Aboriginal children have taken their lives this year and there's just no national outrage about it and um, it's just what is it going to take? I mean, I'm, I'm personally really concerned that in Queensland at the moment there's a lot of children, uh, Aboriginal children, being held in police custody um, because they're saying that they don't have enough room in the youth prison. Um, and it's just a tragedy waiting to happen. Um, and we've, we've just seen history repeat itself so many times and, and we need police accountability, we need government accountability and we need the recommendations of the Royal Commission implemented. Hmm. And so how can our listeners get involved with this issue if they're not already and, and sign petitions or yeah, support organisations that are working towards these changes? Yeah, um, so Tanya Day's family has a petition that's still collecting signatures. Um, I think the plan is to um, to collect those signatures until the middle of the year. Um, so if you, that's on actionnetwork.org um, slash petition slash end Aboriginal deaths in custody. Um, if if people want to jump on and sign that and share that, that would be fantastic um, and just um, there's a lot of um, the messages of Tanya Day's family that are being shared um, on social media at the moment really I think you know calling on 
Daniel Andrews tagging him in social media and um, calling his office and just letting him know that this is an issue that the community really cares about and we don't want to see any more Aboriginal people die um, because of this offence of public drunkenness. Mm, yeah, and, and Tanya Day's family really have been doing so much work on Facebook um, sharing those messages. That's definitely something that our listeners can follow and thank you for sharing all of those links with us and for speaking about this topic with us today. No problem. Thank you for raising this really important issue. We'll, we'll, we hope to continue this conversation on Tuesday breakfast and um, yeah, and speak with you and change the record in the future. Thanks and have a good day, Roxanne. Thanks. In December 2017, Tanya Day, proud Yorta Yorta woman and much-loved member of the Aboriginal community, was travelling by train to Melbourne. When V-Line staff found her asleep, they called Castlemaine Police and she was removed from the train and charged with public drunkenness. Tanya died 17 days later as a result of head injuries sustained while in custody. This would never have happened had the recommendations of the 2001 Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody been implemented. Tanya Day's family is calling for the crime of public drunkenness to be abolished and for the implementation of genuine community health alternatives to incarceration. Please add your support by signing the petition at 3CR Reception, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, or online by entering Tanya Day Petition into your browser. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR with George and myself, Anya. That was Roxanne Moore from Change the Record Coalition talking about the um, the 20th, 28th year anniversary of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. Before that, we um, we heard a song, Black Boy by Emily Waramara. And up next, we have an interview. Yeah, so we're going to play some um, content from In Your Face that was on last week. So for any listeners who don't know, In Your Face is, I believe, Australia's longest-running queer mm-hmm. radio program that's run by James and MV. Mm-hmm. And so last week they spoke with Rowan Myers from Transforming Tasmania, a gender diversity advocacy and policy reform group about legislation passed by Tasmania's parliament this week that is hailed amongst the world's best for trans, gender diverse and non-binary rights and social policy. Rowan outlines those rights and the political dramas involving the state government's attempts to thwart the legislation, resulting in the Speaker crossing the floor and casting a deciding vote in the Act's favour. Let's listen to that now. Well, this week Tasmania's Parliament passed new laws that give protections to gender-diverse people in that state. On the line we have Rowan Meaches from Transforming Tasmania. Uh, Welcome to 3CR. Thanks for having me on. It's a great pleasure. Look, congratulations on this uh, legislation getting through. It's a wonderful achievement. Uh, what are the key rights it provides to gender-diverse people in Tasmania? Well, there's a few key things that this bill enables. Obviously, it gets rid of the forced divorce requirement that everyone else has gotten rid of. But um, the two fantastic things that this does is gender-diverse people will be able to update their birth certificate to say their actual gender, and that might not just be 
male, female and X, but that could be agender or bigender or gender fluid. Um, it allows self-description with only a statutory declaration, no medical requirements whatsoever. That's and fantastic. The other, the other great thing that it does is it allows us to have the choice to not show gender at all if, if we feel that'll be safer for us. Transforming Tasmania has said this legislation is among the most inclusive in the world. Um, do you think that's the case? Um, it's, listen, it's definitely arguable. There's some, um, some debate as to whether Malta has picked us at the post, but I think what makes this reform um, the best in the world is the fact that we've done it all at once. We haven't gone through in bits and pieces, one thing at a time, but we've gone from um, Tasmania having some really, frankly, um, terrible medieval requirements for trans people previously um, to being, yeah, world-leading. So what enabled uh, Tasmania to actually deliver this legislation? I mean, is it because you have such a strong kind of grounding in LGBTIQ activism? Uh, did Rodney Croom play a strong role, for example, and did his experience um, really, really assist in getting this legislation into into a form that's, you know, so, so world-first, so groundbreaking? Yeah, so um, it was a confluence of probably... I would say 30 or 40 different people who each individually without any one of those people, we wouldn't have got to it. Um, and everyone was, um, there was probably a hundred more people beyond that that were also working really hard. And this is sort of the, the culmination of, you know, 30 years of Rodney's campaigning, 15 years of Martin Delaney's campaigning, um, the better part of 10 years of capacity building in the gender diverse community in Tasmania. Um, it's really, to say that any one person is responsible for this is, um, <laughs> I think it's missing the point. This has been a fantastic victory for community empowerment. So how does the new law in particular focus on uh, non-binary and young trans people and young gender diverse people? Uh, is there any kind of um, framework within the legislation that specifically assists young people? Yeah, so... From the age of 16, you'll no longer need parental consent to change your name or your gender on your birth certificate, and you'll also be able to have the choice to have your birth certificate not show either your gender or your name change history. Now, that's really important for young gender-diverse people because um, disproportionately we will have family conflict or family violence and be kicked out of home or have to leave quite young. So that's really important. Younger than that, um, you'll still need the consent of either both your parents or a magistrate. Unfortunately, we can't do anything about that because of federal um, family court laws. How does our legislation in Victoria compare to your new legislation in Tasmania? So in Victoria, there's still a surgical requirement um, for trans people to be recognised, and you also can't be recognised if you're non-binary. So it's male or female, that's it, and um, if you can't afford surgery or if it's not right for you, then then you don't have the right to be recognised. Um, so Victoria's got uh, quite a way to go in that regard, but we're optimistic that you guys will see that, you know, after a little while the sky hasn't fallen in Tasmania um, and it's just made it's just made our society stronger, so we're optimistic you guys might catch up. Absolutely, and of course, your legislation sets a precedent for the rest of the country. Uh, that's, that must be resulting in huge rejoicing amongst trans activist groups all around Australia. It is, um, and 
Western Australia's um, Law Reform Commission actually did a reference on this very recently that came out with recommendations for almost essentially exactly the same um, legal outcomes. So um, given that they've got a Labor government at the moment, and it was Labor that was um, very critical to getting this through here, um, hopefully WA will be the next and the rest of the country can follow. You have a Liberal government in Tasmania. Uh, some people would say it's pretty surprising that they supported this legislation ultimately. Um, what do you think led them to to enabling it to happen? Well, the thing is they didn't. Um, the government itself has done everything it can to block or delay this legislation. Um, they People have said that the measures they've gone to to, to extend this and draw it out have been unprecedented in um, Tasmanian political history. But thankfully, the Speaker of our House in Tasmania, who has the casting vote um, and constitutes their majority of one, is a small-L liberal. Um, She believes very strongly in um, the right of people to self-determine and not have government meddle in their day-to-day lives. And so she actually crossed the floor to support us um, and has copped a lot of flack from her party for it. And her name is? That's Sue Hickey. Hero of the hour. How has the media in Tasmania been representing uh, both her crossing the floor and the passage of the legislation? For example, how has the uh, Hobart Mercury been uh, responding? Yeah, by and large, we've been pretty pleased with how respectful um, the major media outlets have been. Uh, I think we're quite lucky in Tasmania in that um, uh, our media outlets, they know they have to... Um, represent both sides of every story and all of that, but they also recognise the damage that negative media can do, particularly on vulnerable, young, gender-diverse people. So they always try to make sure their articles are respectful and, um, I guess, progressively slanted in that sense. You're from Transforming Tasmania. Tell us a bit about the group's history. When did it form? Yeah, so officially we launched in June last year. Um, Earlier that year, um, Rodney Croom and Martin Delaney had gotten together and said, listen, we've got this one opportunity with the forced divorce reforms that every state was required to do. We've got this opportunity. We think we've got the numbers in our, both our lower and upper houses. We need to get together um, groups from the community to, to lobby and tell their, tell their stories and run a campaign around this. And um, they put out a... a a call to do some workshops on it, and much to their delight, uh, a large proportion of the community had been thinking exactly the same thing. Fantastic. Now, what's next for Transforming Tasmania? What's next? Well, the job's not done. Um, Obviously, this reform still needs to be implemented, and it hasn't got the royal assent yet, so we're still going to be pushing to make sure there aren't any unnecessary delays around that. But the other half of this that we started with and haven't finished is... um, bodily integrity rights for people born with variation in their sex characteristics. Um, We were told that um, it wasn't going to be possible to get that through with this round because it was a legislatively very complex area, but we're not going to rest until we can make sure that our intersex siblings have the same rights that we do. Absolutely, and of course, uh, if you get that through as well, that's going to have huge implications for the intersex community around the country because it also sets a precedent. Yeah, and... um, Obviously, it's it's going to be a slog, but um, anyone who knows intersex people who've been through this trauma and grown up and 
and talk to them about their personal stories um, where they're able to share them, it, it's obvious how inhumane and, um, frankly, ridiculous the current situation is. The legislative victory that you've had in Tasmania must be having enormous impacts on the uh, gender-diverse community in Tasmania. Um, uh, what are the links, I suppose, between getting legislation through and uh, the benefits it has to people's mental health? When, in four months or so, we can actually go and change our registered genders and get new birth certificates, we're going to have an enormous community party. Um, until then, I think everyone's going to be holding their breath in, in disbelief until we've got the piece of paper. Um, I don't think any of us is, is quite going to rest yet. But surely Royal Assent's only a few days away or is the government coming up with excuses to delay it? it that remains to be seen. Um, let's just say that given their behaviour over the past five months, we would be entirely unsurprised if they found excuses to delay it. So tell us a bit more about that behaviour. It sounds like it's had a, a, a traumatic effect on the trans and gender-diverse and non-binary community in Tasmania. It definitely has. There was flagrant misinformation um, coming not only from the Catholic Church, as you would expect, and from um, various um, trans-exclusionary radical feminist groups, as we all love and <laughs> wish would go away, um, as well as them, the government themselves and the Attorney General was putting out um, an unprecedented number of media releases on this topic that ca- contained factually incorrect things. Um, it was quite dramatic how um, how heavily and freely the government endorsed misinformation on this issue. And one of the major issues was um, the Tasmanian Law Reform Institute was asked to do a reference on this reform and the government here said, no, no, we're not going to pass this legislation until until this has been to a public consultation. And, of course, the entire LGBTI community cringed and thought, oh, God, no, not another plebiscite. Um, but we approached the Law Reform Institute and they informed us that, actually, no, they weren't doing a reference because they can't look at legislation that's currently before Parliament. The bill would have to pass before they could, before they could do their work. And knowing this, we went back to the government and said, how can you say that we can't pass this bill because it needs the consultation when the people who've been employed to do the consultation say they can't do it until it's passed? Um, and it actually led to the unprecedented step of the Law Reform Institute publishing their terms of reference publicly. They, they never do that, um, almost under any circumstances, but they were pushed to do so because they had been misquoted on our, um, on our house, in our House of Parliament just too many times. Rowan, it's a great victory. Uh, congratulations to all at Transforming Tasmania. Uh, keep up the fight. It's great that you're championing the intersex uh, community's issues and legislative reform demands, and uh, keep us updated on 3CR. We'd love to have you back. Thanks so much. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR, and that was James from In Your, In Your Face, 3CR program, speaking with Rowan Myers from Transforming Victoria, a gender diversity advocacy and policy reform group, about legislation passed by Tasmania's parliament last week that has been hailed the best amongst the world for trans, gender diverse and non-binary rights and social policy. So thank you so much to the team at In Your Face for providing that fantastic content. 
Up next, we have, um, we're going to be chatting with Rana Hussein about Project Hashtag Show Us. Project Hashtag Show Us is the world's largest stock photo library with over 5,000 images, um, including six Australians created by women and non-binary individuals to shatter beauty stereotypes and is available now for the media and advertising industries to view, license and use in their next project or campaign. Um, and we're very pleased to be joined live on air um, with Rana Hussein. Thank you so much for joining us today, Rana. Thank you for having me. Um, maybe we'll start by talking about, uh, I guess, why you decided to take part in this campaign and about yourself generally. Yeah, I look, I was approached um, to be part of the campaign and as soon as I read about what it was, um, I just said yes straight away. Basically, um, I've grown up feeling that disconnection between what I see um, on the television and um, in advertising and with, you know, my real life and the people around me and the way I look not being represented at all and the idea that I could be an image out there for some other young woman to see and feel reflected in um, was just too good an opportunity to pass up. Mm. And basically, um, you know, I've, I've in especially in the last few years, I suppose for me that's been one of the biggest driving forces in my professional and personal life is just to see some diversity in the media. So mm. this is... Um, right up my alley, basically. Yeah. And I was reading the sort of description of the project and it said that one of the goals is to put an end to the narrow definition of beauty consistently portrayed by, you know, encouraging the media to showcase different sort of standards mm. of beauty. So maybe can you talk to us about what beauty means to you? Yeah, well, I, I suppose, I mean, your listeners won't know this, so I'm um, a Indian Muslim woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got quite brown skin and I'm a plus size girl. I'm quite large. And to me, uh, I, if I can't accept myself as beautiful. I mean, it, I'll be living a quite a, um, depressing life really. And I think for me, the key really is that, um, beauty, beauty comes from within. I really believe that and, um, that beauty is something different to everybody and mm. all we're really given though is quite a narrow um, point of view around what beauty is and I just wanted to put um, put different images out there really of what beauty means and, and it's something I've struggled with personally and so mm. <clears throat> it was actually quite a confronting thing for me to accept and, mm-hmm. and put myself in front of camera but um, it was something I really wanted to do for myself mm-hmm. before anybody else to actually say, no, I can be beautiful and I am beautiful and I believe that. Mm-hmm. And I think um, really the people that I admire and consider beautiful are often people with uh, authenticity and genuineness and kindness. Um, and I, I feel like that permeates. So for me, uh, that was kind of where I was at in terms of what beauty means and what I wanted to put forward in this project. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a beautiful image. I had a look and um, you look great. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and let's talk about why, 
I guess, representation of women who look like you and sound like you. Why is that representation so important? Well, I mean, I guess we've all heard it. You can't be what you can't see. And mm. uh, I think all, all women understand this. You know, I don't I feel like we all inherently know what it's like to feel misrepresented or to feel like you can't see yourself uh, represented in um, public narratives and it's jarring and there's a disconnect there and we just it limits women. It limits all of us really if we can't see ourselves uh, in the media and in those public narratives. The possibilities become limited and we are confined to you know what's put out there for us. So I think it's programs like this that really can make a difference. Mm. And I think that, um, you know, we can suffer in so many ways, feel pressured to look a certain way, um, that standards that are just unrealistic. And I think doing this goes a long way to changing that. Mm. And how has the response to the campaign been like so far? I think it's been great. Mm. I think... The proof will be in the pudding and and whether people take it up in terms of using these images. But it's certainly whenever I get to talk about it and talk about it with friends and family, there's a sense of relief of finally, mm. you know, these things are happening and not just, um, you know, in small initiatives. It's with big brands taking this up. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a definitely a sense of relief. Yeah, and it seems like, I guess, the tide is turning because a lot of these big brands are now, you know, understanding that the best way to reach out to people is is to use images that look like people. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and, um, you know, the statistics and research clearly shows the lack of diversity in media representation of different mm. women and non-binary people. And this campaign seems to be a step in the right direction. But what else mm. should we be doing to achieve that sort of diverse representation? Well, I feel like, first of all, like it's over to the media and advertisers now to really take up um, this project and use the images or use other images now. Mm. I really think there's so much power in in doing that. Mm. Um, so I'd really urge media producers and advertisers to really start diversifying all the images they put out. Uh, and I think as consumers, uh, we have a lot of power um, in the choices we make, um, the media we consume and our voice mm-hmm. um, in itself, writing in... Uh, putting our money behind things that we feel are equitable and fair um, and representative of our community. I think that's really, we we can take ownership of that. Um, and we know how the world works. It's, um, where people's money goes is where the attention goes. And so that's the power we have. Um, so I, you know, that's sort of how I live my life or try to anyway. Mm. Um, and I think, yeah, supporting media outlets that try and do the right thing is, is key. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I mean, personally, I, I'm an Indian woman myself and, you know, 
seeing that image of you looking that happy and bright and positive definitely was was quite uplifting and you know you don't really realize how uplifting it is until you see it and then you start to notice how the images you've been used to all your life um i guess that that sort of jarring um imagery is mm. um is often underrated yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah. and and you don't like you said not always a conscious thing, but until you get given another option, you just you don't realize the erosive effect mm. it has within. Mm. Uh, and I think you know we can do much better, and and we just you know we need to demand it of of others as well. Absolutely, and thank you so much for you know taking the initiative to to do this project and you know you look beautiful and it's a great project oh, and, thank and thank you for I joining us today mm, yeah oh thank you mm. yeah you were going to say something oh sorry yeah i will say it was it was confronting initially um mm-hmm. getting in front of the camera and it just showed me how much the that messaging had had its effect on me so mm. um it sort of was releasing for myself as well and i really do hope people get on the website and have a look um, because, yeah, it's a lot to me personally to do it as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us today, Rana. It was such a great pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Let me start by saying You're listening to Tuesday Brekkie on 3CR. That was Briggs that with The Children Came Back. Such a good tune. And we're going to go straight to another chat now with Julie Kuhn, who is the CEO of WIRE, which is uh, the uh, Women's Information and Referral Exchange. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Julie. Thank you for having me today. So... We're wanting to talk with you a little bit about Parents Next. Obviously, there's a lot to talk about. But for any of our listeners that haven't heard of Parents Next before, could you tell us a little bit about what it, what it is? Yes, Parents Next is a national program, and, it, and it's an insidious program. It is a program for, for people that are on parenting payments, and it, it can affect parents as young as uh, with kids as young as six months and what it does is in order to get parenting payments to get an income from Centrelink they have to comply with certain conditions and that is relating to looking for work doing study but it also includes things such as 
children, attending story time, attending other social activities. And people are selected for this program. And what we know that 95% of the people that are selected are single mums. So it's not parents next. It's really focusing on single mothers, not, not the fathers. We also know that this is targeting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people um, it, it, disproportionately as well. And, the, and what is happening is that we know that 16,000 people on this program have had their entitlements cut off. That um, one in five parents have had their payments suspended because they haven't um, undertaken an activity that um, Parents Next has said you must do. These are people already in poverty. We know that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander are some of the poorest families that we have in Australia. We know that single parent families are some of the poorest families that we have. And we, we fail to see, and there's a whole coalition of services that fail to see how removing income from already impoverished families is going to improve their lot. So it's not just that it's, you know, the, the whole concept behind the program is flawed, it's that the actual implementation is flawed as well. When you have 16,000 people's payments being cut off, then something's clearly not working. Yes, because this is a program that, I mean, it's, you're right, it is, from its absolute base, this is flawed, and this is why we're calling for it to be dismantled completely, because it is targeting people that are already under stress, you know, single mothers and saying, you must look for work, you must look you must look to study so you can find employment. Plus you must engage in all these activities to show that you are raising your children well. And if you don't, we're going to suspend your payments. And we you know, not having any money coming in to pay for food and for pay for rent, I don't know how that improves a child situation so the whole premise of it that by using great big sticks you can improve these sort of matters I think is flawed mm. I think the other thing it doesn't take into account because it so disproportionately affects Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander families that it doesn't take into account the impacts of colonisation and um and settler rule so basically saying everything's a level playing field and now if you don't do what we say, you're a bad parent and we're going to punish you. It, 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 mm. it, it's hopelessly flawed. Yeah, and just that, yeah, that you, I think you're really spot on with the, the fact that it's so punitive. Like we're just going mm. to take away your payments if you don't follow these activities that we've put in place and you're forced to participate in. Yes, I, mean, I, I always, I, if I had to sum up Parents Next, I would say it is a huge... Um, stick masquerading as a carrot mm. you know they keep on saying you know it's about we're getting people into education we're giving all these incentives but the incentive is a huge stick that you're going to have the small payments that you get from Centrelink removed and Julie how is it impacting um, I guess because it's mostly single mothers how is it impacting them in their day to day what is the impact of this program on you know just getting through well one of the things that we've um, it's been brought to our attention by domestic violence Victoria is the number of um, women that this is affecting that have experienced family violence and so this is just that they could be experiencing financial abuse unable to get any payments from from the, the, the father of the children, which 
who is unimpacted by this whole parents next thing, but they're the ones that have to deal with the impact of family violence as well as the impact of this program and is yet another systems abuse bearing down on them. So we know that that is impacting women. We also know that it is women that overwhelmingly have the responsibility to care for children when um, relationships break up. So they're the ones that have the burden of having to demonstrate that they're doing all of these things. As I said, 95% of the people on these programs are single mothers. They are not going... It, it is so stereotyped, as in it's not going after the fathers. It's saying it's the mother's responsibility, and if the mother doesn't do it, they're the ones that are going to lose any source of income they have to pay rent, to lose the source of income to pay for food. It, it, it is... I can't tell you how on how many levels this is flawed. It, it is sexist. Mm. It, it is racist. It is, it is a whole range of things. Yeah, and the, and how it contributes to these structural inequalities is reproducing these structural mm. inequalities. Yep, targeting yes. these specific groups, as you mentioned. Correct. Yes. And so this came into is this uh, about a year old? Is that right? Did it come it's in last year? It's been going since I think 2016. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. So. We've got a, a federal election upon us um, happening on May the 18th. We are calling, this is the coalition, which involves Good Shepherd Australia, New Zealand, Domestic Violence Victoria, WIRE, National Security, Rights Network, Women's Health Victoria and a whole range of other um, services, including the Australian Council of Social Services. We're calling on every political party to say that they will dismantle parents next and to make that an election commitment. We haven't got that from the Liberals. We've got from the um, Labor that they're willing to look at it but and they realise that some things need to be changed. But we're looking for more than that. And so why is this an issue that WIRE is particularly concerned with? Because... WIRE is an organisation for women and gender diverse people and this so strikes at the heart of, of sexism that this is a program that's going after women and saying women bear the um, sole responsibility for children. It is um, attacking women that um, are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and women that are already impoverished, those that have multiple barriers to financial well-being already and just giving them another, you know, uh, kick up the bottom. It, mm. it, it, it's not helpful. And while we speak to individual women about what is happening in their lives to to help them um, to be able to take on the challenges of their lives, but why tries to do more than that than speaking to the individual? We want to impact the system that uh, women and gender diverse people are, are working in and living in. And by dismantling parents next, we believe we are would be improving the system. Mm. And there's clearly so much you could actually do if the the, the the intentions were there to support single parents, single mothers, First Nations parents. There's so much mm. you could actually do to you yes. know put funding or provide other sorts of support and it's such a yep. it's such a disappointment that this has actually been the way that they've gone and the outcomes that it's that yeah that it's caused 
And I, I think I think you're right. And, and one of the first things I would say is go and speak to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities and ask what will help them. I don't think anyone is saying that um, help isn't needed in those communities, but it's got to be led by those communities. I don't think anyone is saying that it is not difficult for single mothers um, to return to the workforce, but I don't know if this is the help that, that, that they need. We have a job coaching program at WIRE and we speak to so many women that are wanting to return to the workforce after having children. The barriers that are faced are not a lack of will, are not a lack of determination to get employment. It's things such as being out of the um, the employment for so long they find it hard to get back in, that, that they are told that their work as a mother is not relevant and so they basically go back in saying, you know, you've got five years or how many of years of no work experience and that puts them at a disadvantage. We need to see the role of caring for children a bit differently and create better pathways for women returning to the workforce to, to enter the workforce and get meaningful and decent employment. Mm, I'm really, yeah, I'm really glad that you mentioned that around that unpaid work in the home and how that is so devalued in society and how that feeds into these programs and policies. Yes. Yeah. I mean, anyone that's had a child would know. They know how to multitask. They know how to, you know, <laughs> do things quickly. They they know how to schedule a day. These are all really important skills for so many jobs um, that we have. And yes, it, it's not recognised, and we need to make sure that the, the skills that that you have when you raise a child um, are, are incorporated mm. when people. When people are, are going for jobs and seen as a skill set. Yeah. And Julie, how can people get involved with this campaign? Um, you can go to the Good Shepherd website and just put in Parents Next um, and you can see where, where we are with the campaign. But I would also, if you know you're speaking to a politician or you're speaking to a want to be politician, a candidate, say, what, what is your party doing about Parents Next? And, yeah. and let them know what you think about it and saying that this is an issue for you. That's something, we're in an election campaign. We have more power than what we usually have to get to get politicians of all political persuasions to say, if we form government, we will dismantle um, parents next. Yeah, and we'll share a link to that on our Facebook page as well. And just as my last question, you know, you've touched on some of the really important work that WIRE does. Could you um, share with our listeners how they can get in touch with WIRE if they're looking for any other support sure, in any other sure. related thing? WIRE has a telephone support line that is open from 9 to 5 p.m. Monday to Friday, and the number is 1300 134 uh, and you can call up about any issue, and it is a service for for, for women and people that are uh, gender non-binary and gender diverse. We also, if you go to our website, www.wire.org.au, you'll be able to see all the programs that we run. We um, have web chat for those that don't want to get onto the phone and email support. We have a walk-in centre. We have computer classes. You can also come in and ask for support if you prefer that face-to-face. We try to provide support to people as many platforms as as possible. Um, We do job coaching. 
Um, we have legal clinics. We, we do an awful lot. I'm, I'm always amazed with how much we're doing with yeah. what we've got. Um, and we also have some financial, um, if for, for women and gender diverse people over the age of 50, we also have some, um, financial wellbeing, um, workshops coming up as well. So have a look on our website for those as well or ring up the 1300 numbers to get more details. You, yeah, why does you do so much incredible work? Thank you so much for joining us this morning and speaking to us about the Parents Next program. Thank you for speaking to me. That was Julie Kuhn, CEO of Wire Women's Information and Referral Exchange, on Parents Next and what we can do to try and stop it. Did you know that women's votes can change this country? This federal election, let's think about what's important to us, our families and our multicultural communities when deciding how to vote. Are you enrolled? Do you know how to vote? Visit www.harmonyvotes.org.au to find out more about why your vote is important and how to make it count. Authorised by the Harmony Alliance, Migrant and Refugee Women for Change and the National Ethnic and Multicultural Broadcasters Council. 3CR supporters. We Need to Pay the Rent is a fundraiser for warriors of the Aboriginal resistance featuring the Pretty Littles, Worst Nurse, Ute Root, No Sister, Face Face and a heap more. Come join us on Kulin Nation land to give back. It's well overdue. We need to pay the rent. Saturday, May the 18th at the Tote from 4pm. Tickets $20. Available from the Tote website, thetotehotel.com. Free or discounted tickets for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Contact organisers online to arrange a 3CR supporter. My name is Ian Ham, and I'm the chair of the Healing Foundation's Stolen Generations Reference Group. At three weeks of age, I was separated from my birth family. And even though they lived just 50 kilometres away, I never knew they existed. I never met my mum, and it pains me to this day. There are thousands of Aboriginal people just like me, and our stories have never been heard. These stories form the basis of Australia's first Stolen Generations resource kit for schools. To download the kit, go to healingfoundation.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Everything is everything. Mantra says guillotine, missionary commission, misery into angel wings. And all he want to do is be still and cut bread. Never know the dead, how they whisper, forgive me. Everything is relative. Politicize the evidence. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. Um, that was Very Black by Jamila Wood. Um, Woods, sorry. Great song. It's a shame that you can listen to the full thing, but, you know, go to Spotify yourself and do it. Uh, or any other uh, app music, music platforms. <laughs> on the internet world. Uh, thank you to our guests for joining us today. We had... Um, we had Roxy Moore. Roxy Moore. From Change the Records. Mm-hmm. Rana Hussein about um, Project Hashtag Show Us. And Julie Kuhn, CEO of Wire. And not to forget the incredible Chris Woods, who yes. just makes us laugh every time they're in the studio.
We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. And up next is Accent of Women, which will be talking about the new podcast QR Code.